You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Oh, man. The thing about recording these like rogue little intros so we try to get something organic is that Hayden likes to say bad words. Will you sit me up with the uh, the one before? Mm, I'm sure. All right. Welcome back, everybody. It's episode 56 of Arsenal Pass. Today we're doing a mailbag. Um, uh According to my memory, I think it, we, the last time we did a mailback was quite recent, but Hayden says it's been a while. So Episode 33. Episode 33. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, so yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. Um, mailbags, yeah, some of, my, some of my favorite episodes, sort of questions from viewers, uh, viewers and listeners, I guess, where we just kind of dive in, go deep on some of the ah, you know, current topics of flesh and blood, um, as well as just general concepts. These are These are my favorite episodes by far. Um, I'm excited to dig into this one. Why are they your favorite? Is it because we, we get into a little couple's argument? <laughs> Is it because we get into a couple's argument or because we don't have to write that many notes? Uh, I don't know. It's going to be close on that. Yeah, yeah. you mean I don't have to write that many notes? What do you mean, dude? That's Oh my god. Don't sandbag me like that. That's just false. Um, Alright, let's talk about our weeks in Flesh and Blood. Obviously, mine has been um, interesting. Outside of Flesh and Blood, I was struck by uh, I was struck by lightning and, um, I'm okay, but there was a bit of a change in my appearance. So, uh, I'm ready to go. I'm fully recovered. I've been testing a lot for this pro tour these past couple days and it's been interesting. <laughs> Not what I expected. Um, I expected to find a bit more diversity and I think, yeah, the format's playing out, uh, kind of how I thought it might, but, uh, Less innovation and less less sort of rogue decks creeping up through our testing process. Um, what about you, Hayden? Yeah, I mean, um, likewise, I think... I was just going to say, I get a little bit shortchanged. I can't even see Brennan's here. I won't see it until I look back and watch the episode because oh, I yeah. can't see Brennan's camera. But yeah, what a, what a, I saw it briefly when we jumped on. Um, yeah, I mean, been testing this week, definitely. That's been what this is about. Pro Tour is coming up uh, in a week's time. I leave in less than a week now in just uh, five days I leave so trying to get in what testing I can it's been unfortunately really difficult with with work and things as well but in terms of like findings yeah really similar I mean um the banning is definitely impacting in terms of the fact that you've got Scalata banned I actually think Scalata is the biggest ban like when you yeah. when you, all all things said and done and we look back at the pro tour I think we're going to say wow like Scalata was definitely the most impactful ban here because star of the show is still a, a really strong uh contender heading into the pro tour and I know I listened back to the Twitter spaces that you did with Tarek and Kyle McCreef. You had on, you know, the Guardian guy himself talking about Guardian in this format. And um, Kale said something really interesting about Awakening being banned, making Star of the Show like more aggressive and more explosive. And I thought that's such a weird thing to say because, you know, you don't have Awakening anymore. But actually, it, what I'm finding is that it's very true. It's very interesting. You know, um, the format feels, you know, like I guess overall just just quite aggressive and. It'll be interesting to see what people bring as kind of, I guess, solutions or ways to attack that. And I think I'm with you. Like, I don't think the innovation is maybe as high as I thought it might have been when I knew we were going to get a ban. Um, and then with that ban eventuated, and I was like, yeah, okay, there's definitely things to look at. And there is. There's definitely things to look at outside of the box. Um, but will those be to the level that we maybe were anticipating? I'm, I'm not sure. So, yeah, regardless, I'm super excited to get to the Pro Tour. Um, it's in, you know, like I say, just you know, a week from now. 
see everyone, meet everyone, have an amazing time um, and enjoy regardless of uh, the results of the event. But, you know, obviously there to, to play and to win. Mm -hmm. It's a funny, it's a funny thing, right? Because I think from like a data standpoint, most of the flesh and blood metas that have felt aggressive have actually been won by defensive decks. Um, we have Monarch, you know, actually, I mean, probably you could count Tails as that with Oldham sort of being a breakout soon after Orlando. Um, at and, Orlando, Michael Hamilton yeah. won with... Yeah, Michael, yeah, yeah, you're right. He won at Orlando. You're correct. Yeah, so maybe literally every um, every major North American event that has been in a so-called aggressive meta has been won by a defensive deck. Something to consider. I would think uh, almost every deck, every North American uh, calling as well, constructor calling, has been won by an innovative deck, um, where there has been like sort of a uh, premier best deck, you know, that was perceived. Um, there's been some sort of innovation that's won those. I think you could put Nationals under that, even though Lightning Briar was kind of leaked before um, in uh, in the United Kingdom, obviously through their national stream. But uh, yeah, I mean. You that's I mean, it's just something to consider, right? When things look simple, they're obvious. There usually is like you know someone who's sort of, sort of cracked the code. So yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to yeah. do. <laughs> to, some, to some degree, I mean, you could say the win in Indianapolis, maybe you know, Star of the Show wins that, but it's a slightly different take that oh, Michael yeah. has on on Quite how definitely. other people are playing Star of the Show. Which yeah, so you, I think you can can keep that. But when is a trend not a trend, Brendan? When it's no longer a trend, so um, always worth keeping in mind. But what was that? <laughs> regardless, uh, Socrates or what? I think that was Plato. Oh, yeah. yeah, makes sense. I feel like I've heard that one before. Um, anyway, Hayden. <laughs> oh God, the freaking Socrates one just gets me. Let's talk about the news. We got some some headlines uh, for our judges out there. Yeah, Judge Hub has landed this week, which is the new platform that LSS have launched. Uh, still in development, but it's basically an interface for judges and tournament organizers to find judges. So. You can do all, do all things from taking level zero, which is the rules advisor, and level one tests through this uh, new platform. You can register as a judge, and if you are a judge, I recommend you go and do this, uh, because if you are registered as a judge on the Judge Hub platform, tournament organizers can find you. Uh, they can, you know, <laughs> it sounds a bit ominous, doesn't it? Hmm. They can uh, get in contact with you to ask you if you can judge an event, <laughs> is basically what I mean. And you can also register your interest for events. So it looks like LSS are putting up events, you know, or the tournament organizers can put up events and say expression of interest for these events, uh, whether it be things like callings, pro tours, uh, I think even down to road to nationals and pro quests, although don't quote me on that. I, all I can see at the moment is the Las Vegas uh, calling event. But yeah, I think this is a really great step forward for tournament organizers for uh, OP and, you know, how this is going to go forward. And another step towards having a, you know, this fleshed out judge program, um, which I'm sure will come through with like education and things in the future as well. Uh, but yeah, I think it's I think it's great to see. I've gone and registered myself on there as a as a level one judge. If you are a judge, I would say go and make sure you put yourself down, register your details, and if you do want to become a judge, a level zero or level one judge, uh, you can go and do the test through there. Make sure you study up and go and hit those. So, yeah, Brendan, I, are, you, are you becoming a judge anytime soon? I think you know the answer, and that's I couldn't pass the freaking test. <laughs> uh, that's not what I thought you were going to say, but fair enough. Um, otherwise, Brennan, Battle Hard in Pittsburgh happened over the weekend. This was the last, you know, the last pre-ban event, the last big event that we're going to see before we head into the Pro Tour. Uh, it was won by Star of the Show, but bearing in mind this is a pre-ban, so still with Awakening, still with Scalata, still with uh, Autumn's Touch, and was won by Charles Dunn. So big congrats to Charles. 
Uh, Charles is now a two-time Battle Hardened champion after winning, I think it was the Philadelphia one, back when Star of the Show had his kind of breakout. He was uh, one of the players who brought that deck to the first uh, Everfest kind of event and um, piloted it to a, a victory. So, yeah, I mean, one thing I did want to ask you, Brendan, about this, just while we're kind of looking at this, is they did produce a meta recap for Battle Hardened Pittsburgh. 29% of the field playing Star of the Show, um, you know, 14% of the field playing Prism, 14% of the field playing Viscerai, 11% of the field playing, sorry, 14% of the field playing Chain, 11% Viscerai. Really interesting, 25%, almost the same as, you know, what the, the Star of the Show representation is coming out of this this uh, Runeblade kind of meta. My thoughts are that we're not actually going to see much of a shift from this kind of percentage yeah. against the Pro Tour, and I well, thought this is a really Prism. interesting sort of... yeah. Yeah, I think Prism so, will yeah, be like nothing. I, I mean, if someone brings Prism to, I don't know. It depends, right? It depends what you what you see in testing. Like, if Star of the Show looks overwhelmed, looks like it's overwhelmingly the best deck in your testing team, then it could be a good idea to bring Prism. But I promise you, there's going to be a lot of chains, and oh my goodness, is that matchup miserable for Prism? Like, maybe you change the deck, right? Like, maybe um, you build. Prism in a different way, where it has more cards that block, uh, less auras, maybe more heralds, whatever it is. But I think the power level of the game has crept to a, to an extent that Prism can't be the jack of all trades anymore. Um, and if it tries to be, it's going to be the master of none. So that at least the Prism deck in its past iteration, like we saw in the calling Indianapolis, or maybe even at uh, the Battleheart in Pittsburgh here, I highly doubt that that, that deck will have any reasonable success at the Pro Tour because of all the chain. Um, and I think there's going to be a ton. Very interestingly, um, how many prisms do you think are in the top eight of Battleheart and Pittsburgh? Uh, zero. Yeah, it was zero. It was zero? <laughs> that was a total <laughs> guess. Yeah. Star of the show, one chain, one viscerai. Um, I think coming off the back of Indianapolis, obviously people thought that Star of the Show had a, a much better time into Prism with a few tweaks and things like this, and it seemed to show through in Pittsburgh. Although Prism was down in representation with you know things like Chain being up and even uh, Viscera kind of around where it was. So yeah, look, really interesting. Um, I think there's definitely other decks out there, but to yeah, I mean, all I know, Brendan, is that there's going to be a corner of the room on uh, Saturday during the main event of uh, Prism players and Bolton players, and they want yeah. to have a word with you. That's For sure. Yeah, they call that um so there's like this there's this concept as you progress through the, the tournament there's a winners meta and there's a losers meta. And as oh, you get stuck as you get stuck losing early rounds, all you do is play other people on decks like Prism because they're really poorly positioned for this tournament. Um no. I'm totally kidding. Like every time I say Prism sucks, it just it, it wins tournaments. So I'm actually doing you all a favor if you're playing out bringing Prism <laughs> to the pro tour. Um I tend to actually eat my words. Uh, yeah, for what it's worth, I think Prism is, is is better than Brennan's saying, but I do agree. There's, there's problems that you face. You need to have solutions to that. But every hero that's done well in metas leading up to things has had issues. Like, leading into Indianapolis, bravo. Uh, Prism's a real big issue. People solve that. You know what I mean? Like, people came with solutions to that. It's not like you can't. It's just that maybe Prism's is a bit wider of, a, of an issue. Um, but okay. we'll see. All right, Hayden. Um, before, I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to shoot shoot a news item in here because i just remembered it and it was freaking hilarious so legendary studio actually updated the ratings um yeah the uh elo ratings this past week so they like backdated um and retroactively added in all the road to nationals which is like it was an accident um they reverted it will they add in road to nationals and the pro quest season i don't know um they also added in battle hardened so it's really everything except ProQuest. <laughs> uh but there was some funny things that came up 
because you would think, okay, that's just weird. Like, if I say this, you, you're thinking like the only funny thing is like some people went up, some people went down, you know, people played mean decks and they got punished for it. But no, I actually looked at my ELO and how it changed. And they only added Road to Nationals and only added ProQuest. And I've never played a limited ProQuest. And my limited ELO went down <laughs> for no reason. I lost 20 ELO for no reason in limited. And I was like, I didn't know because I looked and I was like, wow, I don't remember being like rank 54 in like limited ELO. I was like, okay, maybe some people went up somehow, whatever it is. And yeah, I just like randomly lost 20 from nothing. It's just like a total bug, um, <laughs> which is hilarious. But yeah, I went up a few ranks. Uh, but after they readjusted, I'm back to my normal rank, um, went down. I uh, One thing to know is I, w- I played the Battleheart in Dallas, right? I went eight and three. I made top four. Uh, I lost, I would have lost six ELO for that entire event. Just to put in perspective of like, I was like, what the heck? Actually, but here's the thing. It's like when they were calculating the ELO, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, calculating your K value and win and loss like at the at, for your rating at the time. It was using your current rating and then you know putting it against those players at their current rating now. So it was a whole funny thing. I remember people freaking out on Twitter. <laughs> I just can't. It's just so funny. How I lost 20, 20 limited ELO. I just watched and observed, and then I I saw that it was a mistake, which I thought it must have been, uh, just given how it was how it was done. So you know, retroactively, I can't see Alice is doing that. That would be, I think, quite a poor decision. But yeah, it was definitely fun to see the reactions. And then I saw a bit of banter between <clears throat> Mr. Matt Rogers and Michael Hamilton as uh, Matt overtook Michael again, uh, based on you know some elo changes. And then that got quickly reverted. So Matt had his number one spot back for all of about twenty four hours before Michael reclaimed it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> elsewhere in the news uh, actually there's a little article that's just gone up on fabtcg.com if you haven't already seen it by by the time you hear this podcast it'll be be a day old now but um, just featuring I guess some conversations some interviews with players headed to the Pro Tour uh, you know there's national champions in there there's uh, calling champions in there and just a few few cool questions from LSS everyone's got different questions which I didn't know when I answered my questions so <laughs> interesting to see what else people had said but um yeah, otherwise, come and see us at Jersey. If you're going to be in New Jersey, we'll be there hanging out, I think, on uh, Sunday afternoon, you know, while we're watching top eights and hopefully playing in top eights. Uh, but afterwards, we'll be hanging around the venue for a little bit to uh, chat and catch up with anyone who wants to come over to, uh, you know, come talk strategy, talk decks for the ProQuest season, whatever it is, we'll be around to, to chat. And, uh, you know, we can even sign something for you if you really want oh, that. I don't know why you want oh, oh my god look at this guy brendan brendan will sign uh your boltons and your prisms for you so, yeah. so um yeah just just seek us out we're going to be really hard to find uh, i'm just kidding <laughs> probably the easiest people to find the entire venue with you will be. The, the beacon yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more incognito yeah. it's the beacon it's our it's our like our team meetup it's just on like that little speck of white in the crowd of people oh Probably man you do have to crash down to see it yeah, yeah, it is, it is quite low. <laughs> all right. Just want to give a big shout out to all of our Arsenal Pass patrons. Um, your support does help us do what we do. Hayden and I did, a, did an additional pod for the for the Patreon recently, and I think it turned out really well. Um, but yeah, if we do have additional content on there, including extra podcasts, like I said, but also deck techs and deck guides, wait for that ProQuest season to come. It's going to be some hot ones in there. Um, as well as additional content, uh, you know, like Hayden and I commentating over some of the national uh, championship coverages or um, we did the... Did we do any others? We d- oh, yeah. Then we do my losses on camera. We'll go ahead and commentate those ones as well. <laughs> well, anyway... 
take us into that mailbag. Or no, it's the news section. Oh, God. <laughs> we've just got a quick in the comment section, which we've done the last two weeks. Uh, you know, we get some great feedback on our pods and some good constructive feedback as well, robust constructive feedback. Um, but some of the things I like to do is just read through and just see what people are kind of saying back on the pod. And, you know, we had a couple of interesting ones, Brendan. Uh, we had a couple of questions. Are we twins? Uh, Darren's wife asked if we're twins. I, not that I know of, but I haven't actually seen my birth certificate, I don't think. So I don't know. Who knows? Mm, you are far more handsome than me. I don't think it's possible. Well, I don't have blonde hair, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> That's the thing. Well, apparently. Um, <laughs> Uh, a lot of talk about Lexi in the comments last week. We talked about the kind of new meta and what's happening with the banner restricted, the banner suspended announcement and what that kind of means. And a lot of people really high on Lexi and uh, I can see that, you know, I think it's interesting which kind of Lexi you bring, but we have multiple people talking about the success they're having in testing and in, in local armories already, um, you know, playing with friends, whatever it might be already in the first week. So yeah, and Bo saying Lexi is slowly fighting her way to the top. Uh, you know, I don't don't disagree. I think Lexi is a good choice potentially coming into this next round of what this meta looks like prior to Uprising. Um, Brennan, someone was surprised that you hadn't thrown shade at Bolton, but that came just on the hour mark, so they weren't oh, disappointed yeah. with that. <laughs> Come on. You know me too well. Bolton Sabres. Well, the thing is, is like Bolton, probably cool. Bolton Sabres. I just think that deck is kind of whack. Um but, you know, bring it to the Pro Tour, see what happens. And if you, if you don't win, I'm going to make fun of you. <laughs> You've got some questions about Bolton in the, uh, in the mailbag, so don't you worry about that. Reiner gets a bit of a shout-out from Ethan, thinks Reiner might be the truth. Maybe we're sleeping on it. It's the deck that we're looking for. Uh, not, not as sure, but maybe. Uh, we've been asked if we can do a live Arsenal Pass podcast at the, uh, at the Pro Tour. Brendan, I, I don't, unfortunately, think it's going to be possible. Uh, might be a little bit of background down. noise, eh? sound equipment and gear but we we might record something while we're in person uh we did last time when we were in indianapolis mm. wait no we were in orlando uh and we recorded something so we'll see what we can do and um last question which came from in the comment section brendan could katsu be good in uh in this format or in either format actually blitz yeah. or class constructed Ooh, not sure about blitz right now um but i wonder if in constructed like Katsu can be good. I don't know if like normal Katsu can be good, uh, but I wonder if you can play control Katsu <laughs> and like fatigue some rune blades, just play like value um, and some other sort of you know, regular aggro decks that aren't necropotencing every turn. And then maybe like fatigue out Starvo, but probably it's terrible. That's the thing. Um, but maybe just go back to our roots. We play some control Katsu at the Pro Tour. Hayden, what do you I, think? I mean, even bigger than, even bigger than that is a real card. It's a real uh, card. I yeah. found over playing Everfest and you know even the last few weeks. So it's it's a real card. My issue, yeah. My issue with Katsu is I feel like a lot of his a lot of the additions to the Ninja class have been like side grades, um, and not like just strict upgrades. Where if like you look at like Runeblade, it's like Revel and Runeblood, Swarming Gloomvale, like it's just ridiculous. Pr pr like uh, Illusionist, Raging Metamorph, all the zero cost auras, like. Yeah, and I feel like Ninja has just gotten other ways to play the class. Well, it hasn't power crept like too much. So I just don't know if it can compete. Its armor also sucks. So it does seem like in Flesh and Blood, there seems to be sort of a, a consistency that if, you know, decks that are very powerful tend to have like what we call fridges, like they have a lot of armor. Um, and I feel like it's just becoming more and more important to have access to that um, in yeah. modern Flesh and Blood. Well, yeah, don't worry, though. We are getting a new ninja with Uprising, so if you are a bit worried about Katsu, maybe... We're getting a Rune Blade, too. Isn't that crazy? 
we're not. We're getting a rune blade. I'll be all excited. Uh, this guy. All right. All right, Brennan. Uh, no command cookout this week. Although you're, you're firing up like a freaking commercial kitchen for this mailbag. So don't worry about that. But if you do have questions for future command cookout sections, each week we do answer a viewer slash listener question. Um, get them in. You can do that through Twitter. You can email them to us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. You can drop them in the YouTube comments below and just let us know that it's for the Commander Cookout. You can write them on a little note and hand them to us at the at Pro Tour in New Jersey if you really want to. Whatever way you want to get them to us, please go ahead and do it. But otherwise, bring them. We're going to head into the mailbag. We have a lot of great questions uh, for our, I guess this is, I think it's our third mailbag I think that we've done. We did kind of a mini one once as well. Uh, very very early on in the pod we've got a few kind of different chunks of questions from twitter i did put a call out on twitter i also asked our amazing community discord for our patrons for some questions as well um so we have some fun questions from people we also have some uh, questions about the meta we have some more macro based questions about just the game in general how we approach it so a really good lot of, a lot of really good questions but i thought you know let's start with some of the fun questions brendan and we'll, we'll see what we can get through um this first question comes from Cold Four Hands on Twitter at Cold Four Hands. Uh, oh, actually, this is, this is this is for me, Brendan. I'm starting with a question mm. for myself. I can uh, answer for Hayden, you if you want. Yeah, well, it's fun questions, you know. <laughs> Hayden, you mentioned recently that you attended the F1 Aussie Grand Prix. What is your current favorite driver and constructor? Also, is Brendan an F1 fan? Well, first of all, Brendan, are you a Formula One fan? I think you're not much of a sports fan at all, are you? Um, not traditional sports. So, like F1 would probably be. Something that would pique my interest, I guess. Um, there's not a lot of exposure, I feel like, in the United States, but maybe I'm just ignorant. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched like any F1 other than um, like one time when I was in Monaco, I think. Or Monaco, Ooh. yeah, Monaco. Like that, they do the F1 yeah. race there, yeah. They do. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they were like, they were setting up for it, and it was going to be like the day before we left. I didn't get to see it though. Um, but yeah, regarding yeah the sports things, so I actually yeah, I don't follow any sports. Um, all I do is watch like. I follow UFC and I watch that like every weekend and that's it. Nothing else. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of like the stories behind sport, you know, whether it be like strategies, teams, the like mentality of the drivers. I really like what happens behind the sport. I think like, I don't really get invested in, in cold full hands asked to have a favorite driver or constructor, which is the, the people who make the cars. That's the teams effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I not necessarily. I'm not like an avid big fan. Uh, being you know here in Australia, Daniel Ricciardo is from Australia, so a big Daniel Ricciardo fan. Valtteri Bottas, who is a Finnish driver, is probably my favorite. I uh, just very interesting guy. Very. Um, I've listened to some podcasts that he's done, and he's yeah, just like a really interesting competitor. Um, so I had my Alfa Romeo shirt on while I was in uh, Melbourne for the Australian Grand Prix, but otherwise, no, not really. Just interested in more what's kind of happening behind uh I, although i do love watching the race weekends as well and being there was phenomenal like the sounds of the cars and the speed was was great next question comes from at coops 013 on twitter uh <laughs> this is a great question brennan which one of you guys takes the l when you're in the top eight paired together uh does brennan apg pull the rug out from everyone and show up with kano and will at fiendale retire and go into commentary if he wins the whole thing just a few of many potential questions. Well, let's just quickly run through these, Brendan. Uh, who takes the L in the top eight? I mean, we, we, we fight hard for it, of course. We, we go, you know, we lock horns. We have an amazing game, and uh, it's, it's one of the most memorable games of flesh and blood ever, I'm sure. Um, yeah, surely I just high roll Hayden um, out of my, just high roll out of my mind, play the most unfair flesh, game of flesh and blood in my life, and it's just a total non-game. And I hope everybody's there to watch and what just witness the disappointment. <laughs> 
I mean, I can't win a game on camera against you, Brennan, so it would... It would <laughs> that is true, but uh, I can't win uh, a game on camera, period, so there's gonna, this is going to be quite the battle. Yeah, the guy who can't win a, a, a sanctioned or game of flesh and blood on camera and the guy who technically can't false beat now, that guy yeah. on camera. Yeah, technically false yeah. now, but yeah, well, okay, that's fine. True, true, true. Uh, will you be pulling the rug out from everyone and bringing Kano? Yeah. That's the next question. Yeah, probably. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, will I retire and go into commentary? Uh, probably not. I mean, I might retire at some point, but it probably might be after this pro tour, and I don't know if don't know if it'll be for commentary. Uh, uh, we're gonna move on. Oh, you got a question? No, no, no. I just feel like you're gonna do commentary eventually. You're just like you're that guy. Yeah, you know? I'm that guy. You just welcome to Wraith Boomer, just like unusually presentable, you know, kind of not a degenerate. It's like, ugh, this guy looks like a commentator. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's a little bit of a degenerate who plays Flesh and Blood, and that's true. And if you listen to this and you disagree with us, why are you listening? Your to hair is not even white, dude. You're, you're a normal person. It's true. Uh, you know what? People get me with their Twitter and Discord handles, and I feel like I need to practice these before I read them out. So maybe next time you can do that. Um, Which one got you? But... Lert one on Twitter says, what did Bolton do wrong? And what tools does Raiden Bolton need to get to earn some respect with Brendan? I mean, Actually, this is a real question, right? Yeah. Like, apart from the fact that, well, first of all, what did Bolton do wrong, Brendan? Well, use the correct prefix there with Raiden Bolton rather than Sabres Bolton. So that's where that's where uh, my infinite hate comes from, is like, it's just the least interactive combo deck in Flesh and Blood that just tries to draw a sequence of cards that allows it to do uninteractable damage, which is cool, but like you literally don't play the game outside of that. So I don't know. I just think it, the deck sucks. Um, and it's it's also, if it was good, it would be really bad game design. So I'm happy that it sucks. Um, Raiden Bolton. Bolton's a really cool class, really cool concept. This idea of like managing your soul um, and also potentially setting up for later turns in the game where you sort of pop off with that with like the beacon of victory, et cetera, et cetera. So I actually really like Bolton. Um, just like Warrior has been in a bizarre place, but I'm very okay with that um, coming from Welcome to Wraith, Ark and Rising, and even Crucible where Warrior was just an absolute force <laughs> um, to be reckoned with. So uh, I, I don't miss it quite yet, but it should come back. Yeah, I think if you're asking about what does Raiden Bolton need to I mean, earn some respect to Brendan, but what do I think it needs to become uh, a force in, in, in any given meta, I think it just needs a few more cards that uh, can play on your off turns or options. I think your off turn options are maybe not quite good enough now. What I mean by that is you need to be often having like two, three, four card hands even to be able to push damage and to be able to load your soul at least two cards, often three cards. Uh, it's quite difficult. So I think you need something on those kind of off turns that can maybe offset that. Uh, I don't know what that might be. Maybe there's a card that allows you to take a card from Banish and put it into your soul somehow. Um, something like that could be interesting for an off turn. Or just a little bit more stretch damage. I think of something, I really like the idea of like Valiant Thrust. I think that card's really cool. What could that look like at a Majestic level? Is there some way to push a bit more damage onto a card like that? Or an on-hit effect even potentially uh, could be really cool. So yeah, I think those are the kind of things I would love to see maybe Raiden Bolton have in the future or just Bolton in general. But some of them might be a bit good. I think the design space is really tricky with that hero because it requires this kind of management of your soul like Brennan talked about. But then a lot of it is just raw damage. Yeah. Um, so maybe it could be stuff to interact with Raiden more as well. That could be interesting. Obviously, we have Courageous Steel Hand at the moment, but what else could we maybe have? Yeah. Beacon, of course. I wonder if it would need quite a bit just because uh, this like era of Flesh and Blood has just been very uh, 
very quick, right? A lot of racing. I mean, like I said, you know, could, the controlling decks have won a lot of these tournaments, but the the metas have been very aggressive. And I just think that Bolton tends to sort of struggle against those decks that try to play uh, three-turn or four-turn games, you know? Yeah, the... the um the opportunity cost of these cards that you're using to like to go into your soul is kind of the thing that hurts Raiden at the mm-hmm. moment in these formats where the value of a card is really precious. Um, I think when you're playing into these aggressive strategies, and I think that's kind of what's hurting it. So yeah, maybe it could just be a timing thing as well about the meta we're in. We have a question from Absolute Royalty, Brendan. We have a question from the Tall Timmy, uh, at the Tall Timmy one on Twitter. If you don't know the Tall Timmy, to me, uh, you got to go check him out. Brennan, he's one of your best friends. He's one of my best friends. I mean, he calls me all the time. Like, the guy just Apparently, won't Apparently, I call him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, he, he likes to pretend like I'm calling him, but that guy rings rings my phone um, day and night. So, um, the talk to me does ask. It's time for some speculation. Three questions here. Which country will have the highest representation in the top eight of Pro Tour 1, Brendan? Uh, I'm going to go pretty safe here and just say the u.s he almost said north america and i would i would love to say north america too but it's going to be the united states i was going to try and cop out for a second and be like well just rather than country i'll say north america but no i'll I'll say america i'll say the united states i think it's going to have the highest representation Mm -hmm. of players in the top eight yeah uh which deck will have the highest representation of pro tour one i I think we just talked about this at the start of the show i think it's going to be star of the show still could be chain representation uh it's not top eight representation it is just representation i think that chain yeah. is chain's a pretty attractive deck for a lot of people it feels powerful um you get a lot of card advantage and yeah i, I could see a lot of people playing chain because the current version of chain is what people you know some people fell in love with in monarch not myself <laughs> but um like this this version of chain is very aggressive um and it can do some crazy stuff so maybe people like that play pattern more than the starvo i know that when i was in indianapolis there was many of people that came up to me, and a few of them were playing Starvo, and a lot of them were begrudgingly playing Starvo. So I think if it's even remotely close, a lot of those people might be on chain. Yep, good point. Uh, number three, will Brendan APG day two the first pro? Yes, I mean, pro tour. Yes, of course he will. You of have course. to, you I'm have to, important. you have to day two to win the tournament. So like, I mean, if I'm already the champion, then like, I, I just Timmy, we talked about this, hung on the call. Like, I basically already have the trophy. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> what is this? I feel like I feel like we had this conversation. So this this question coming from Timmy is just, uh, he's just he must be messing around. I don't know. We have some more fun questions, but um, I do want to get into some of the other ones. So we might circle back to it if we have time. Otherwise, we'll save these for another, you know, maybe a rainy day. I want to talk about meta next, Brennan, because we do have some great questions on the meta as well. So this first question comes from uh, two chains or more on Twitter. Mm. Where do you think Katsu? So actually, this this is kind of a, an extension of the question we asked before. So I just if there's anything to add on this, otherwise we might kind of move through. But I did think it was it's interesting. Where do you think Katsu fits in the post ban Pro Tour meta? Can the aggro build do the same thing that Briar and Chain might be doing, but better? I'm guessing because of the on hit effects, or worse. Any specific uh, any spice cards worth looking at for us still stuck on playing the Lord of Wind in this current meta? So we already said that we felt. You know, um, you talked about control. Could that be mm. spicy? Uh, what about, I guess, any uh, kind of other ways you could look yeah. at this? Like, my kind of overall takeaway from Katsu is that it's just a little bit underpowered. And like you said, the cards it's had so far have been side grades, unfortunately. That's how it feels. Yeah, and we should kind of dig into this uh, this idea of on-hit triggers. Because Katsu does have a lot of on-hit triggers. But a lot of them are just kind of more damage. And there's like vanilla damage. And if your hero's already doing less damage, then it doesn't, they're not really on hit triggers. You know, obviously mask momentum, drawing card, big deal. But, uh, you know, um, some of these things, they're just, 
they don't really count as on-hit triggers to me. When you know, Starvo's on-hit triggers, like, put two cards at the bottom of your deck. Don't get go again. Skip your turn. It's like, yeah, Katsu's, Katsu doesn't really have the card text um, on those triggers to compete, I don't think. Yep. I think we talked about the rest of it before, but um, a Shishinelli says, mm. replacement for Crossstrap and Reinar Blitz. Uh, I think you just got to go Barkbone Strapping at the moment. I haven't looked too much at Blitz right now, but I will because, of course, we do have the teams calling and there's one right here in my home city, so I will be I will be playing that. I think Barkbone Strapping is the place to start. Uh, if the format's going to slow down a bit now with things like Kano and Viserai and stuff being touched, maybe it's you go back to Tunic. Uh, maybe you play both Tunic for slower matchups like Ultim and something like Barkbone Strapping for more aggressive matchups. You also get that defensive value, so... Yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Blood no, same Drop Brigade thing. might be worth looking at, but I don't think uh, so. Yeah, I mean, if I'm playing Blood Drop, I'm probably playing uh, Barkbone Strapping. Barkbone Strapping just seems a bit superior, most likely, um, in that deck. But yeah, maybe in the slower decks, you pack a pack a Tunic. So I'm, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mask of Momentum at Mask of Momentum on Twitter says, what surprise decks would you feel could top 8 the PT? Yeah, so the one that would surprise me the most would be Prism, but obviously there's going to be a few players on that, and I don't think a lot of other people would be surprised on that. Uh, so we have to think about like decks that ha- aren't haven't been super dominant in you know uh, most recent times, right? Like in very recent meta. So let me think, Lexi. Yeah, Le- yeah, Lexi can definitely top eight um, for sure. Yeah, I think I wouldn't even be particularly surprised at that one. Uh, once we get past Lexi. That's where I, I think I start to get surprised. Um, like any of the other other the decks under that, like any yeah, like right, yeah. I mean like uh, any hero from Welcome to Wraith, surprising. Um, any hero from Arcane Rising, surprising. Um, maybe Dash sneaks in there. Eh? Uh, Viscerai right. yeah. still around. Yeah, Viscerai still around. I'm really interested to see how much Viscerai shows up. Um, I feel like we've like criminally, criminally under talked about that one. Still a very good deck, but. You know that deck. There were some strategies that it struggled against, and uh, it used a little, little chess piece to help its you know, help out, and that's gone. So, yeah, I think if you talk about what surprise, what surprises could actually top eight, like in 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 like being legitimate about it, like what could actually have a chance to top eight, I do think there's a few, and like I would be surprised if. Uh, it would, I would be like, oh, Elixir made top eight. Like, that would give me a little bit of a surprise, a good one. Um, I think at this point, uh, I think I wouldn't be that surprised if Briar top eighted, uh, star of the show, chain, of course. Uh, Viserai, I don't even think still necessarily I'd be surprised. But then, yeah, like I think the ones that could make it uh, would the top of that list would be would be Lexi. I feel like it's still not being talked about as much. I think the settling on a list that can play well into the field is is not necessarily easy. It's not like in that Briar format where Ice Lexi just absolutely preyed on what was forty percent of the format. Uh, it's not really like that in this format. So yeah, uh, Livia. I think Livia is uh, potentially something that could you know I would be very surprised, but I do think maybe it could have a chance. Um, although, you know, I won't, uh, I won't put any money on it. That's for sure. Yeah. Speaking of, and there, there might be a reason I said this, we do have a next question, which is, uh, from at Mansantfab on Twitter. Hayden said that Livia was the second best deck in Mon- Monarch format. Just no one was playing it. Uh, they agree with chain being top dog again, question mark. Okay. That's something that's definitely a question people are saying. Does Livia still feel like she can compete with him or is Rosetta allowing an early game that seeds plus Riftbind did not? I personally find the matchup getting worse. That's a 
great question actually i to be honest i haven't played a bunch of livia um recently but i did at the start of everfest format it's something i looked at uh, i have played some games recently i have tried some things with it as, as a deck that i definitely looked at and thought you know could there you know it's a deck that plays husk is there something here uh, i kind of agree with with what man said saying like rosetta thorn is such a dif- it's such a so efficient like yes. it's so hard to have a strategy as a deck that wants to do a little bit of blocking and a little bit of attacking. Um, it makes it quite difficult. So, yeah, I honestly think that matchup is... In the Monarch meta, I thought Livia into Chain was like pretty close, in all honesty, because you had this deck that was like playing quite aggressively into you, that you got to throw cards into the bin with uh, and be able to defend quite efficiently because you didn't have something like Rosetta Thorn, and then also be able to set up your own game plan and come in. But then also, like they didn't have, they, they weren't playing Belitta in that sort of format as well. They weren't playing mm. these... like. Somewhere. Even go yeah. wide stuff. Somewhere, but it was far and few between because you had things like seeds and you were setting up more for like the danger was like turns five to six in the old chain decks. And now like you're kind of in danger on like turns two and three from just like 16, 17 damage turns. And that's you know, I think that's tougher for something like Livia to deal with because it doesn't get that kind of advantage of having gas from the very start, um, like it used to uh, in that matchup. So yeah, I think it's getting harder. Does Rosetta Thorn even make sense from a design standpoint? It just like negates every other possible weapon um yeah i think it's just hilarious like a one for four that is like the arcane is also an in, a single instance which is like actually very significant um that weapon is very good i, I mean unless it gets banned or rotted i think that's going to be our weapon for a while and if we get a better one man it's gonna be rune blade for the next decade well, don't, don't forget that once uh, Briar hits Living Legend, Rosetta Thorn will leave, so mm. we just need Briar to hit Living Legend. Yeah, it's coming. Uh, which isn't out of the question, right? It's not definitely out of the question. That deck was you know, one of the best decks in a previous format. Could well come back around. Shaman Heroic is still a very real card. I expect to see Briar in some decent numbers mm. at the Pro Tour, and I think it's a good choice. Uh, one last question on the meta, although then we go into some macro questions, which do, do touch a little bit on the current format. But this comes from Investing Noob on Discord. What cards that are not commonly played do you think are the most likely to become essential cards in future metas as the card pool expands? Which are the most interesting to you? I'm thinking of stuff like Crucible with Dread Scythe, etc. That's what um, Investing says, mm-hmm. which feels like it could have a place in some type of Viz build eventually. But while the current uh, card pool isn't good, yeah, I guess with the current card pool not being good. So what are, what are some cards that we think could be staples in the future, Brendan, that uh, maybe, maybe aren't right now, but uh, could well be there one day any thoughts from your side i mean the one we've come back to multiple times is chains of eminence and it's never been yeah, that yeah, relevant. Yeah. But, it's only good against you know. a degenerate combo i think like the, the card itself is just not good enough like even at naming a nine of like seeds was like a relevant thing to name and yeah it's like uh, you could play chains and evidence or you can play Frostlock, and that's like 50 times better <laughs> uh yes. yeah people people play chains of evidence against me in australian nationals into this right like it was a plan right? that people had into this right to name things like yeah, read the runes, um, or like on the combo turn, just name Sonata. Uh, it never once impacted me, unfortunately. Four or five yeah. times was played against me. So it happened when, uh, I, when we played Chain and Monarch, same thing. Like people play Chains of Endless. Like, oh, you got a red card that like, blocks for two, and you're gonna name some card that's not gonna impact my turn. Like, I mean, a lot of times, like even if you have it in your hand, it's like I'm just gonna arsenal that card. Uh, but yeah, Chains of Endless yeah, is when a you drew two seeds. You know, yeah, they got yeah. you and you had two seeds. Yeah, <laughs> then you only do 15 damage rather than 20. Um, yeah, Chains of Eminence is, I think it's going to be relevant when there's like a degenerate combo um, in the game. Yeah. Like, so Talisman of Warfare, I wonder if that, there's any like merit to that. So the, the cost of playing items is extremely high, uh, and it just doesn't seem like the meta for it, but I'm pr- that triggers off Rosetta Thorn, right? The Talisman of Warfare with the two. Mm-hmm. 
So like, I just wonder if that's like reasonable. The issue with Talisman of Warfare, I think, is that um, it's actually the fridge. It's not that the Talisman of Warfare <laughs> ability isn't good enough, and even you like playing an item to get that ability isn't good enough. It's that when you swing for two, and you <laughs> like, you just get blocked by armor, and it kind of blows. So um, that's one that I sort of had on my radar. But other than that, I think like Expose the Elements saw quite a bit of play last meta but is still like a very relevant card and it's probably going to be one of the more impactful cards um maybe not in the pro tour but at least in the next couple of years it's a really really powerful card yeah i think one card i'll shout out is arcane lantern i think that card's going to become like a staple for a lot of classes in future formats just because of how we continue to explore arcane damage uh we continue to explore mm. like one-handed and two-handed weapons and i think arcane lantern could legitimately become a card that's um that's quite important. Uh, the other one that you know, I think we haven't seen as much of, but could become a, something in the future is this rounds on me. I think that card is oh, also, that card's uh, so good. Yeah, yeah, very interesting as well. Um, this rounds on me plus amazing. crown of seeds is just like what an interaction. Crown of seeds. Unfortunately, that one sees a lot of play, but oh my god, that is a that's crazy card. Anywhere. That is a crazy card. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that's not going anywhere. Total, total. I digress. Uh, any others from your side? I think that kind of. Those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, I think there's more class-specific ones that, you know, we'll, we'll see down the line. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, like, know, like uh, yeah, say, Soul say Shield, the, I think, is probably say the warrior one. We... Oh, Unified Decree? Yep, there it is. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be an underrated card without a mention of Unified Decree. It's underrated. I don't think it's going to become a staple. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, I think, I think some of the light cards that, because of, you know, Prism kind of being the only light deck that sees play in, less than... I guess prominence and chain has had over the, the three formats so far. Weirdly, even if that's not necessarily true, but the last format Prism played a lot of tunic over Vestige of Soul. But I think cards like Vestige of Soul and Soul Shield uh, down the line become, you know, become very very staple again in these light decks. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, we have some more macro based questions, just about the game in general. Uh, there's some really fun questions in here as well, but but more about you know maybe our approach to the game and uh, less about specific meta. To be honest, this is a bit of a catch-all as well. <laughs> I've just chucked some questions in this mm. category, but we start with Pat Smash God uh, from our Twitter, uh, from our Discord community, sorry, saying, "What would each of you consider as your biggest weakness as a player, and what would you what work uh, do you put in to overcome that?" Um, because I've just sprung this on Brendan, I had a little think about this, so I can start Brendan, but. For me, it's definitely um, it's definitely like aspects of micro play. Uh, I think in general, I have very clear lines of play in my head when I play Flesh and Blood. I think those are things that they're just pretty. It's pretty natural. But then some of the things that kind of take me away from that is I might have these lines in my head and uh, just forgetting a lot of micro plays. Uh, that kind of idea of just clean play. Um, you know, we've used the example of missing Snapdragon scales. Both me and Brendan have done it in the past. It still haunts mm -hmm. me missing a top eight off off Snapdragon scales. Okay, it could have been a Colin and, final, right? Uh, it would have been that. No, it was, it was a it was a ProQuest top eight. Oh, but okay, <laughs> mine was in a Collins final with, top my, with my yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But it's still, you know, those are the things that that sit on my mind, and that's one of the things I do. I think to improve on those kind of micro plays is, is think about these things, is um, not dwell on them, but just remind myself that these are the things that cost me games. Um, and when I'm playing games of Flesh and Blood, one of the biggest things I think like levelops me is that I just take a game at a time. Uh, I don't start to think about oh, if I am now. 2-1 the next three rounds, I'm locked for this. Or if I, oh, I just have to 1-2, so just win one more round. I think those take me out of it. I try and play just game to game and then focus on my micro play. Even to the extent that when I get into a game, if I have a strategy for the game overall, 
cool that's fantastic and i always want to have that now i'm starting to think phase by phase okay like early game these are the key things i've got to remember these are the things i'm really focused on for this matchup these are the only things that are really important to me oh okay something else comes up and now i'm moving on to the mid game okay what are the things that are important in the mid game and then focus on that turn to turn like make sure i'm uh doing my sequencing correctly okay well before i even play out my turn the sequence is in my head and now i just need to make sure that i do that even to the extent of like sometimes in my hand i'll like hold the cards left to right of like how i'm going to sequence them or i might like as i'm like going through the line in my head i'm like okay like put this card down put this card put this card down these are like the three cards and then that's how i'm going to play it and then i pick them back up and i'm just like visualizing how those are going to play out in my head and any onboard things i need to like a snapdragon scales uh, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, card one, Snapdragons, card two, card three, for instance, and just making sure that that repeats in my mind um, and I'm really clear on my line. Because once I've decided my line, uh, I've already thought through all the things my opponent could or would do right, unless they really surprise me with something I'm not expecting. It shouldn't change what I'm going to do. You know, if I'm expecting them, if like, okay, they could blizzard me. I probably already thought about that if I'm playing as an ice deck. So yeah, that might change my play, but it shouldn't change my like micro play and sequencing. Um, so those kind of things of what I've tried to work on. What about yourself, Brennan? Yeah. So for me, um, I'm just kind of, uh, I'm just kind of bad and not very talented. So I try to surround myself with good players and develop systems and processes that can sort of outwork the competition and just sort of sweat through that. No, but like literally like this is my first card game and I don't think I'm particularly unique. Like, I don't know, uniquely, talented at playing card games i think uh you know we just put in sort of a lot of testing a lot of time and i've been i've had you know i've been lucky to surround myself with you know players that are, that are very successful at this game and if you do that enough at the end of the day it's just patterns right <laughs> like it's just it's just working it's just recognizing patterns there's not a lot of innovation or moments of genius that happen in games of flesh and blood it's very it's occasional um, and when it, ha when it happens, it it's amazing, right? And that's sort of what we play the game for. But I find the vast majority of my games are the very face-up in terms of, you know, after I've tested uh, and ex extensively tested and practiced for a format, I sort of understand and expect what can happen um, during the game, right? So, yeah, I mean... It's just all about, it's all about hard work. I just, I mean, that's honestly, that's honestly like my, my actual answer. It's like, I just don't, I don't think I could do this stuff in a vacuum. A lot of people probably couldn't, but particularly me, I don't think I could do it by myself. Here's a question for you on the back of that, right? For just for viewers and listeners trying to maybe replicate some of what you do in terms of, you know, you like to say, and correct me if I'm like <laughs> paraphrasing and doing saying this incorrectly, but you know, it's about the work you put in, right? And about the the processes you have in terms of like the people you're testing with, the way that you're testing, the focuses you have in your testing, the um the process when you have when you go to events, the process of selecting decks, whatever it is, it's all about process and work for you. Mm, and networking, so then when you come right? to an what's that, sorry? Networking is probably huge networking. with that, yeah. Okay. So when you come to an event, uh, say Pro Tour next week, what like how are you keeping like how are you translating all those things that happen in the lead up to what's actually happening in the event like is there ways that you're specifically trying to like remember stuff is there like you like how are you making sure that that kind of translates into the event itself and not saying into getting a result but just into actually playing your games at the event sure it's also pre-work right it's also you do that stuff before you develop game plans you develop you know sideboard plans and you play the deck a lot and you sort of you're, you the patterns i hate to use the word patterns again but you've seen you've seen a lot of these lines before right they don't come as a surprise and you just trust the process and trust your practice and trust what you what you and your team have figured out and what you think is correct and you sort of follow that follow those lines and i think that will take you extremely far <laughs> you know um 
like it's really rare that you sort of need to innovate on the day of. And I think if you're you're consistently doing that, you're probably wrong. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, just you're getting, you're getting the pre-work wrong, right? Yeah, it's about being like there's yeah. there's the, the consistency is huge, and I think if like there's anything about uh, sort of all the like the flesh and blood that I have played these past two years is that I've been like very consistent um, outside of like the pro quest season where I had mono. <laughs> but other than that, like I, I've just consistently performed well at a lot of these top tier events. Um, just haven't gotten the W yet. Uh, but yeah, a lot of that, <laughs> that's literally all because of effort um, and the people that I've been able to test with, right? That's huge, right? To have the you know world-class deck builders, you know, very good players from other games that are translating their skills into flesh and blood or just in people who are inherently talented at card games. Like surrounding yourself with the right people is just, I think it's the biggest tool you can use to sort of be competitive at something like flesh and blood. Um, and yeah, that's it. Can I, can I ask one more follow-up question to this then? So just trying to translate this into like lessons to take away. What if something comes up during a game or something maybe changes for you in the event? Maybe there's a deck that you didn't have on your radar and you find out that like, you know, you're going to have to play a couple of copies of that against a couple of copies of that on day two just because of the performance it's had. Like, how do you adjust? How do you adapt? If it's a, if it's all pre-work or a lot of it's pre-work for you, what about on the day? Like, what happens then? Like, how what's what goes through your head? How do you adjust and adapt if you need to? Yeah, so that's interesting, right? Yeah, that's a hard question to answer because it is <laughs> like throwing the, throwing the tough ones your way. Well, like, how do you answer that question outside of like just like a really sort of non-descriptive word like creativity like you do have to sort of sometimes you do have to figure it out um like i remember in indianapolis uh like i had very i had a, had a lot of success into starvo particularly on prism and i remember when i got there you know someone had told me about a particular starvo deck that was being represented that had a, you know had a game plan specifically developed for prism and had seen success through that and i was like okay what cards are they playing um you know, like what do i need to play around right and like one of those cards i didn't have a lot of practice against was like expose the elements so i sort of had to figure out how am i going to play around expose the elements how relevant is that card to my game plan if it's played against me right and how greedy do i play and i don't know if my my sort of <laughs> pattern was correct but like i found a lot of those starvo matchups except for the one that I lost, like right for my winning in, to be extremely favorable for me. So I knew the way that I was winning the game wasn't always just like absolutely maximizing my my resources uh, and maximizing my tunic particularly. So sometimes if it wasn't for like a very impactful aura on the opponent's turn where I could pitch a blue and tunic and maybe drop a Genesis or drop something really nasty like a Merciful Retribution at an opportune time, I actually like might sit that tunic resource and just leave it up as insurance because often you'll end a prison turn with like one resource floating to play around expose the elements for like the first three maybe four turns of the game because after that um you know i'm likely so far ahead that expose the elements doesn't even really hurt me um i can just play auras and then play my heralds at the end of the chain but yep. yeah cool. Cool. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, good example there as well. Yeah, yeah, no, good example as well about how you adapt on the fly. For you, it's a lot of pre-work, but then there is some adapting. But also that adapting actually comes from just knowing your strategies and knowing your decks, et cetera, and how you can adapt. Like, yeah, it's like, how do I win, don't right? Know, that, that's yeah, right. that's if core you don't question. Really know your, yeah, if you don't really know your core strategy and what you're trying to do down to a T, then trying to make those adjustments and adaptations are really tough. So, yeah, great question um, coming there. And I hope that was, you know, dug a little bit into Brendan's there, but I think very worthwhile. Next question comes from our Discord again from Bosun Blank. What do you think about the overall balancing of heroes in Flesh and Blood? 
Is it by design that certain heroes seem underpowered? We're looking at you, Azalea. Uh, this is a, a great question. Um, Brennan, do you want to kick us off? Mm, is it by design? Uh, well, yeah, technically it is by design, but is it intentional? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I think this, this gap has sort of uh, particularly been noticeable this past year or so um, with the aggressive decks. I know Hayden and I talked a lot when uh, Tails was coming out, when Fra when Ice was getting introduced, that that was going to change, but not quite yet. Um, and yeah, like like we talked about, we're like, hey, the question was, what what decks do you be surprised to uh, to top eight at the event? It's pretty much all of the heroes from Arcane Rising and Welcome to Wraith, which is kind of funny. Uh, obviously, Viscerai is somewhat excluded because he's a Rune Blade, so he gets a pass, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, Rune Blades are really strong, and they they sort of con constrict the meta, I think, especially in regards to mid range decks. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with the statement, but I don't, um, yeah, I don't think it was intentional. I think it's necessarily by yeah, so it's interesting. I think part of it isn't, part of it isn't, and mm -hmm. so I kind of agree with you, Brendan, and kind of disagree on some fronts. So I think some things have maybe unfolded a little bit differently to how Legend Story Shoes envisioned it happening, and I think that is. We talked about this on some of the issues uh, post-ban that, that we particularly have with the direction and there's some things that need to be looked at from an internal standpoint. And one of those is expectation of how the development team, being quite small, thinks the game will play and how it in reality plays out. Um, I think when, what I mean by that is that you take the idea of the Runeblade classes and stuff and yes, there's things that can counter that and there's things that you know potentially play really well into it and etc etc uh but then you start to think about linear versus non-linear strategies and a lot of what rune blades do is a lot more linear and that's a lot easier to understand and to enact consistently a game plan uh with the non-linear side that i think is more difficult and that's where i think we see some of the unintentional uh gap come between heroes in terms of basically hero x being easier to play than hero y and the game plans being inherently easier to enact uh plus just a linear plan being better into an unknown field into wider range of, of heroes so i think that's something unintentional comes in where some of the intentional comes in is something like i think azalea uh, and james white said this was never intended to be an arcane rising for instance and i think that piece was potentially a little bit intentional that they that azalea might not have even been the first ranger that we saw it could have been lexi and and the initial kind of uh, process of where they were going with the design of the set and i think in those kind of things sometimes they have a hero that uh, maybe they're not ready to be at a certain level uh, for whatever reason uh, the cards they know are coming in the future but they want to introduce this hero or this class now or this idea of the way that you play uh, but they know very full well that that may not be the most competitive and i think you know you can't have a card game where every class you can't have every class in flesh and blood be competitive it's just it's just not going to work right it's not going to work from a balancing standpoint uh, it's just impossible to get there so I think intentionally they know that some of these heroes may not have the time in the sun now, but then they come, right? I think about, you know, things like maybe Viscerai. Um, maybe they knew Viscerai was strong, but didn't, you know, didn't think it was like particularly maybe going to be one of the best in, in the, maybe the Crucible format, for instance. Uh, but they print Scalata. And then, of course, you know, you print Sonata, Revelin, Rune, but these other cards that are clearly very good for Viscerai. Um, and I think they would, you know, at least have some semblance of a handle on that. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, I, I agree with you partly. And then partly, I think some of it is a little bit intentional, uh, yeah. be it for the future of the game. I think it's just like, um, some of those classes and heroes are particularly less powerful than others, uh, now, right? Where Azalea was never strong per se, but, you know, I think he was like competitively viable, at least to an extent, right? Um, but there's been, like, I mean, we talk about Runeblade, right? But Starvo is the real offender here. 
I think that with uh, Bravo Star of the Show, like most of the heroes in Flesh and Blood can't even function at a basic level against that deck because of what it does. <laughs> it's just kind of lame, right? Like your Azalea deck just like does nothing. Um, she gets all the cards ripped from its hand and then it does no damage on the swing back. So yeah, it's interesting. Like things like Bravo Star of the Show, they just break sort of the the normal design space of Flesh and Blood and end up sort of kind of breaking the game uh, as mm. well. Yeah, I think maybe even if part of it is slightly intentional, there's like this, the unintentional overbears and takes away some of the interesting things that you could do with maybe like underdog heroes or dark horses or off meta choices, etc. which um, I think that's something that LSS need to, to look at for the competitive side of the game um, as we move forward. There's actually a question that follows up for this, I think, um, or it's very similar in some ways, and that's from uh, Copy Cody on Discord saying, can any hero build the best deck in the format through reps and practice, or is there a class or hero that has discernible advantage that meta slaves like at Brendan will exploit to win callings and events at any cost? Uh, but you know, it's not really about that necessarily, is it? But it's about you know having uh, the best the best chance and certain things you can give that to you. Also, why is Rhino the best deck in the new meta? Uh, sincerely, love the pod. So I think that is a kind of a fundamental that comes off the back of this. Of this, maybe there's some intentional of some heroes, maybe not in any given meta being. As competitive but then also there's the unintentional side right and i just talked about linear versus non-linear mm. yeah brendan and there's there's always going to be uh formats so you're talking about best deck in the format well the meta is going to define the format so while you might have a really powerful deck in one iteration of the meta in any given format for let's say classic constructed once that meta changes whether it be through bannings whether it be through just general meta evolution uh those decks are going to change so take prison for example right like maybe that moves from being okay to being really good maybe back to being kind of medium whatever but that's that's meta evolution um so i think you're always going to have that to some degree i i wouldn't say i wouldn't completely rule out that any hero can build the best deck in the format but i think basically no i, I think there's too many other factors that come in just apart from what that hero has access to and the game plans that, that it can enact and how good a player can be i think there's other factors that come into it too many yeah there's, I mean, this opportunity, like if, if there ever has been, uh, I don't know if that, that's probably the incorrect statement, but I think that there is an opportunity for there to be a dark horse at the, at the pro quest from yep. my data. Um, and from the data of all the people that I know, it doesn't look like that, but obviously if someone found out, they wouldn't be sharing it with me, uh, because they know I would sleeve that bad boy up, but alas, um, yeah, I mean, this, this is a tournament where it could happen. Do I think it will? Nope. But, uh. Yeah, unknown. Who knows, right? Like you, you, you ban just a few cards, it could open up the doors for, I don't know, not necessarily like a hero, right? But a game plan and a strategy, yeah. right? Yeah. So my count, yeah, I think what I would say, like kind of echoing what you're saying, is that a, a best deck in the format isn't necessarily a, like a dark, like a dark horse can win, right? Like a, a deck that is set up as the perfect way for the format can win and can do so convincingly it doesn't mean it's the best deck in the format right it just means it was the correct choice for that event and i think those are two very different things so i think that's also worth sort of thinking about as well is that uh when you use the term best deck in the format i think that's like you know we're talking star of the show levels we're talking chain and monarch levels like it's clearly just far and above with the strategy it has you know it's so consistent it's so powerful it's uh, it's a level above and i think not every hero can have that in any given format uh, regardless but in saying that any hero can probably win any event with the uh the right sort of approach and player and plan and bit of luck oh i'm gonna go on a tangent again just because this this peaked my memory but go on, uh, i did say i did say back in tales we were sort we were doing um 
the Arsenal Pass version of the Sunset Show of Tales, I did say that it's it's going to be it's ironic and funny that Tales will probably go down in history as the most diverse meta in Flesh and Blood history, and I think it was. <laughs> like in the context of Monarch, in the context of Everfest, especially, like Tales was a great and diverse meta. Did a lot. Did was there a, a huge representation of Briar? Yes. Was it the best deck in the format? Very debatable. <laughs> you know, and these tournaments are won by all kinds of different heroes. We had Viscerai wins, we had Briar wins, um, we had you know, uh, Prism. Prism, yeah, and I was like, I was Holden. even going to say Kano in Italy, Chain. right? I think Kano won something. Yeah, today. Chain. Yeah. yeah. Um, God, it's just hilarious because that, I feel like, you know, obviously people complain a lot at Everfest, but in Tales, people were people were really complaining because, you know, it's a back-to-back Runeblade and, and Briar's Dominance, but I think that was probably, like, the healthiest meta in the Flesh and Blood's history. Maybe Crucible, I don't know. It's hard to say. But, uh, yeah, probably yeah. probably ever, uh, probably ever Tales was yeah. the, the most diverse. We'll see where we move from here, but, yeah, I think you're definitely, you're, so far, you're spot on. Um, next question from KMason64 on Twitter. While speculation on mechanics and cards for Uprising might be too early, I'd like to frame it in terms of the metagame. What tools or archetypes for Ninja, Wizard, and Illusionist in Uprising would you like? Uh, would you be most excited to see? And what expansion of design could potentially be dangerous? So I've already had a little think about this, Brendan. So I'll give you a couple of you know a couple of seconds to think about this while I give my thoughts. But I want to start on that last point. What expansion of design could be t- potentially dangerous? Wizard is like always precarious, I think, because of the nature of that that class and the design and how arcane damage works, and especially how um, you know that kind of. Um, additional damage sort of function works in wizard i think there's always some some danger with that design space and i think that's something that alexis has to continue to balance um what tools and like archetypes would i like to see i think for ninja like i would like to see this idea of like uh, something a bit a, a bit darker from ninja right like you know every time you play kind of like a lot of wind lines and these combos it always feels so wholesome you know it always feels like ah, uh, you know kadachi kadachi this combo line it feels you know quite quite wholesome like you're being really fair i would like to see some some uh, something else a little bit unfair a little bit like dark and dirty like you have with chain and the banished zone uh be interested to see what like ash and draconic and all these things do um i think that's something interesting to explore something less predictable with the play patterns and lines like you have with the current sort of kadachi lines and mask momentum lines that would be something i'd love to see um maybe we see like the the new hit the pouncing links be really u- utilized because of the way that this potential new ninja plays um and then from the illusionist side uh just like not heralds and not auras that's all i asked for really is mm. show me something else then <laughs> so, what is illusionist if not heralds and auras sir oh you know enigma chimeras and uh you know phantasmifiers and i'd like to see some ways ah, okay. to, to maybe mix it up maybe yeah i get it i get it hear me out on the ninja thing okay hybrid hybrid class ninja rune blade one class and you get the dual wield rosetta thorns and just nah um That'd be a pretty good class. I'd probably play that. Yeah, what a troll. Yeah. What a troll. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think Lusionist is actually a pretty dangerous design space because that class is very, very good. It has a lot of tools. Like I said, I don't think it can be sort of a jack-of-all-trades right now. Um, I think the power creep has sort of forced it out of that role. But a few more tools is going to get there, and it got some serious tools in Everfest. I think that Illusionist is actually in uh, in a... At risk, right? At risk for a bit more a bit more cards to get introduced to the, to the card pool. I think that Illusionist could be dominant. Um... And Ninja, we'll see, right? If we do get, like, if Ninja does get uh, more on hit triggers that the opponent actually cares about, I could see Ninja being a very good class. And also, we just need, Ninja needs more armor. Like, I'm really, I really, like, I really believe in this, this sort of, 
I don't know, ideology that uh, the fridge and armor has just become overwhelmingly important in flesh and blood and heroes that don't have it have to do like ridiculous things to be competitive. Um, yep. So yeah, I could really, I would really like to see more, more armor for ninja. And what was the, sorry, I'm trying to find the last one here. Oh, wizard. Yeah. Wizard, of course, you know, anytime that Kano, if Kano is ever the best deck, flesh and blood won't feel like flesh and blood. <laughs> Basically it's just a different way of playing the game. So it's a dangerous design space. It is a bit, you know, a lot of people don't have fun playing against wizard um, for understandable reasons. So yeah, you know, as they, and then, I don't know how Icelander will affect that equation, but you know we have we have a uh, we have Ninja. Or sorry, we have a Wizard with arcane damage that's effectively unblockable at, at certain thresholds. Now with a controlling factor as well that will sort of lock the opponent out of the game, freeze them. Could be a could be could be the deck to play. To be honest, and make your opponents miserable. <laughs> Are we already getting a Brennan hard claim into Island Domain? It's basically my main, right? I'm going to play it at Nationals. Sure. Sure. Okay, here we go. Prism and Islander. Um, we have a question, a couple of questions to run out. I've got one more sort of serious question, then a couple of last-minute fun questions. But this question comes from uh, Zachary. Zach, who's a you know ProQuest champion from Queensland up here in Australia, or down here in Australia, rather. Hopefully, I'll see you at the PT, uh, Zach. What's going through your head when you're trying to shore up and improve a matchup through testing? Are you more often trying to make small tweaks and testing those changes before making more improvements? Or do you change many, many cards and attempt a radically different strategy? Mm. Do you have any tips for how to progress when a matchup just seems unbeatable? I think this might be my favorite question we've got uh, for, you know, no, not playing favorites, but I think this question is, is great here, Brendan, um, because this is something that's happening right now, in, in particular a lot with the testing. And what's going through your head when you're trying to shore up or improve a matchup through testing, Brendan. Yeah, so it starts with the the latter one you mentioned there, changing many cards, <laughs> like radically different strategies for like the same hero. It's like, um, you know, like with chain, right? Let's say you're getting fatigued. There's two very radically different strategies that you can be like, hey, let's deck stack and try to craft an endgame here, or let's just do as much damage as possible every single turn, and maybe that just overwhelms the opponent's ability to block um, on any given turn cycle, right? Two vastly different strategies, but both cut from the same cloth, I guess. And after that, once you pick one of those strategies, I think you do get into sort of the minutia of card, what cards you're going to be running, what toolbox cards you're going to be playing. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's the way that I approach it in terms of like helping an unwinnable matchup. It is usually... Uh, it's usually not a silver bullet in Flesh and Blood, uh, unfortunately. It is actually kind of a complete reimagining. It's usually a complete re reimagining of your game plan into that deck, right? Um, and sometimes it is just the it, it is just the, the the power of surprise, right? You know, they 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 sit down to play against um, you know uh, an aggressive ninja and your control, and they've sideboarded completely incorrectly. All the armor's incorrect, et cetera, et cetera. You know. So these kind of things are sort of the way that I approach that. Yep. I think great, uh, great response. I wanted to ask you first, because I think mine kind of leads on from this and I thought there'd be some great points, which there definitely are. Uh, this idea of like an unbeatable matchup. So I think there's this idea like Brennan talked about of like reimagining the game plan and, and going back to the drawing board. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be like gutting the whole deck. Uh, changing a game plan drastically doesn't actually mean changing the deck drastically. It could actually be more of a fundamental way of playing the game as well. I think that's really important to understand and remember is that you can often enact multiple different game plans with very similar shells of decks. So I think it's important to remember that. The one thing from my perspective is Brennan talked about changing many, many cards. I think my approach is a bit different. 
and um, I think Brendan probably vouch for this, is that I'll probably take it from more of a, a theory standpoint to start with and just kind of go back to the drawing board like at a, a pure theory level before. I, I don't really play that many games, I would say, of like strategies necessarily. Um, there's oftentimes I'll think up strategies and then bend them before even playing a game um, because mm. I just know theoretically and fundamentally they're not going to work. Uh, but I would say I'm more focused on like the pure theoretical and fundamental mm. side of it I th- yeah. rather than playing the game out. Probably. It's really important though, because before I ever start to go like I, I ever start to go deep on a deck, the first thing I ask everybody for is give me all of your ratios, right? Like give me all of the ratios that you guys are operating and building this deck with, right? How many blues are you playing? How many yellows are you playing? How many reds are you playing? Let's say we're playing chain, by the way. Um, how many attacks are you playing? How many non-attacks? How many of those attacks are blood debt? You know, in red, yellow, and blue. How many decks are not blood debt in red, yellow, and blue? How many whiffs do you have? Like you playing cards that are based off that, etc., etc., etc. And I just need the numbers. It's like, then I can sort of start to get oriented on how I'm going to tweak this deck. Because if you're tweaking, the last thing you want to do is like, you know, like the, probably one of the biggest traps in Flesh and Blood is like, you got to try to make a deck more powerful and you start cutting blues, right? When the deck can't afford to have blues cut, um, you end up just having a much worse deck. So, and then yeah, we, we, big, we'll big run point. the math on that too. Like you run the little hype, the hype geom. <laughs> and uh sort sort of see if it makes sense the hype geom though can be a can definitely be a trap as well like math is not a true one source of truth it's just a way to get your sort of initial thesis and i think through testing and through feels where you find the the art right you find the beauty of the the actual powerful deck because i know with prism yeah yeah, with prism we got a little bamboozled by the hype geom um and uh yeah, it turned out like sliding down blues was just significantly better in some of these matchups. But uh, yeah, that's how I approach it. No, no, no definitely, <laughs> definitely. That's oh. your view. I, I think I think if we were to point out two uh, two other weaknesses that one we each have, uh, mine's definitely I rely too much on the numbers, too much on the science, and uh, maybe Brendan's is too much on the art, and that's why we you know we try and work together and pull somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I do get so he, my, honestly, my biggest weakness and. Um, yeah, this does actually kind of go off this question is that I just am not very good at building decks from zero. Like there's, I think that anybody who says they're, 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 they're a deck tweaker and they're good at tweaking decks. It's just, just bad at deck building full stop. Like deck tweakers may not exist. Like deck builders are deck tweakers. Um, and this is coming from someone who tweaks decks, but like, I need that. I, it really helps to have that person in our group. That's like, constantly like reimagining the wheel right constantly rebuilding the deck getting the numbers and just getting something functional and yeah and i know for me that's super important is i go to try to increase the power level through minor tweaks and game plans and sideboards and things like that yeah yeah no it makes sense uh we have three last questions one they're all kind of fun questions one's for both of us and then uh one each so if you each had the power to ban one card what would you ban um, I mean, we just talked about Rosetta, Rosetta Thorn, right? Is that I, the one I mean, you're bad? Mm-hmm. No, do you know what? I think if I was to ban a card right now, um, I probably wouldn't, even though I'm not necessarily a big fan of how this format seems to be playing out. I don't All think, right. but you have to, is gonna, for it, you have yeah, to, have to let's ban, say you have to, you have to ban one. So for this format specifically, if it's for this no, format, no, just in general, just in general. Oh, uh, just for the health of the game long term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rosetta Thorn. Yeah, Rosetta Thorn. Mm, I will. I hear your Rosetta Thorn. I'll raise you a crown of seeds. Yep, I think those are both. That was. I was going to say, if it's not that, it's probably a piece of legendary equipment, and it's probably going to be crown of seeds. 
that card is powerful. I love I love it from a player standpoint, right? Um, I love this idea where you can kind of like turbo through your deck and like always beat your opponent to second cycle, which is obviously not really the main use case of it right now. It's just it's ridiculous value. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just a it's just a freaking amazing piece of equipment, um, and I think yeah. that it's going to be yeah, it's gonna it's gonna sort of. Uh, further further effect. shadow of the game yeah in the future it'll it'll have a long-term effect on the game yeah it's it's on my list of i've talked about this before i have this list of cards that i think will become a problem at some point and mm. i've had this you know list since i basically started i think arcane rising is when i started this list uh and like tommy fiendale was like one of those cards in that list when it first started but crown of seeds uh rosetta thorn winter's whale uh those cards are all on my on my list uh plunder was actually one of the first cards that went on the list but yeah Anyway, Brennan, uh, <laughs> question here for you. This is from the King of Pandas uh, on Discord. In Magic, there is a term called jank. It's a nebulous term, but in short, uh, it's a deck which is not optimal, but fun as hell for a person piloting. Yeah, I think there's you know different things people might say about what makes something jank, but yep. In Flesh and Blood, I haven't necessarily seen a big number of jank decks besides some Moonwish Sunkiss decks. Well, you haven't seen Brennan's deck building. Uh, decks from the beginning of the game. If you had to build a jank deck in Flesh and Blood, what would it be and what would make it well jank? Brennan, I want to give this question to you because I think... We built you know, the jank deck in testing. Uh, so one of the... I hope this deck is not better than we sort of found it out to be. But uh, yeah, we built Cheerios Prism. Utilizing like veiled intentions, I think that's what the card is called, and like Phantasmify. Yeah. Um, you know, by pitching the zero cost, uh, you're able to sort of always pay off the boots by paying the one cost on the non tech ashing that pumps. And then, you know, with veiled intentions, you actually draw a card and you just kind of recoup that action point. And then, like, these lead to like very broken interactions with fractal replication. Um, it's particularly on like Enlightened Strike and things like that, the deck seemed very powerful, just like consistency wasn't there. And I don't think that, you know, we could have sunk the resources in to make it good. Um, but it's totally jank, right? Like you think Prism, you're thinking like Auras or Heralds, but like, what I'm like Cheerios Prism, right? Let's play some non-attack actions in Prism. Let's let's increase our blowout as we get, you know, popped on Phantasmify. I, I didn't have the pleasure of uh, being involved with the, the deck building process on this one, but I did get to play a few games, and um, j jank might be a reasonable term. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I think there could be something there in the future. Uh, is it for this format? I think probably not, but yeah. <laughs> it was definitely fun to play. Um, okay, Brennan, uh, I think that's kind of... Oh, there was one last question. Uh, as I said, question for you, question for me. Um, MTG underscore RB on Twitter just uh, asked, not fab-related, but I'd heard in a previous episode that I had mentioned about dancing. Just wanted to know a bit more about that. Uh, I, I did rock and roll dancing for basically, I think, up until about three years ago uh, for most of my life. Just a really good outlet, I guess, for a bit of creativity and competition. And I actually got into it because of a production of Grease. So there you go. It's a bit more about it. But if you haven't seen rock and roll dancing before, you can go and look it up on YouTube. It's quite fast-paced, sort of uh, two people dancing and doing aerial sort of acrobatics. I feel like you have such you have such an opportunity to answer that question with like the most ridiculous story, <laughs> and then people just believe it. Like I don't even know. I mean, I have some ridiculous stories, yeah. but I, uh, you know, I was a part of a for another time. I was part of a traveling circus in Eastern Romania for a few years, and <laughs> just like, just go down the rabbit hole of Hayden's dancing career. Um, Definitely a niche culture, so uh, you know, there's some there's some stories, but you know, for yeah. another time. Uh, <laughs> 
thank you so much to everyone who submitted questions for this. We didn't get through all the questions, so we will circle back to some on Command and Cookout because I, basically every question was fantastic. Um, even some of these fun ones that we went through, they were great to do. And there's some other questions about, you know, future of metagames, future of the game, um, formats, evolution of metas, things like this. So we will come back around to some of those. Brendan, do we have a do we have a Google review this week, or are we straight through into to wrapping it up? I know we've gone quite long. We don't have a Google review. Um, I do hope that License Story Studios, whether it's through Mark Performance or just you know they want to say you know write something about whatever, I hope that they use uh, that form that I submitted about myself because I love uh, my career. My career section is pretty funny because we're talking about dancing. It makes me think about what I do for a job. Um, right. And uh, oh, well, just we should probably let the listeners know, huh? Yeah. So I don't think we've talked about this in Arsenal Pass yet, actually. So I work at um I work at a local college. Uh, even though I, I kind of feel like I'm smarter than everybody there, um, I technically I'm a janitor, I guess. But uh, it's, yeah, I'm most of the time at night. You know, sometimes I'll see like half solved equations on the board, and um, yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll just solve them. My uh. It's funny, actually. Uh, my my nickname in high school they uh, they said I was I was wicked smart, but um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I hope that they post that because I just feel like you know the people flesh and blood haven't gotten to get to know me like personally yet, and uh, yeah, I just want you know I want to connect more. You know the downfall of your uh, of your goodwill hunting what? Uh, persona. Is what are you doing? People have, people have seen that uh, math maybe not your strong point. <laughs> Oh, don't tell anybody's listening. This is a secret. Don't tell anybody that keep that it, is the synops- That's a synopsis of t- Goodwill Hunting. Keep the cards close to your chest or vest. Uh, let us know if it's chest or vest. I've heard a debate about this before. Anyway, that's this week's pod mailbag episode for Arsenal Pass, episode 56. We're going to be at the PT next week. Uh, come and see us. Drop by. Say hello. Have a chat. Um, on Sunday, definitely afternoon after the event, we'll be around for longer conversations. Obviously, during the event, we'll be be playing, but we will be around. And as well, if you want to connect with us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter, uh, engage in some of the the absolute crap posting that we do. Uh, Brendan is at Brendan APG. I'm at Fian underscore Dale. Uh, we talk all things flesh and blood, post decklist, etc. We'll be updating, I'm sure, as we go through the PT. Well, there'll be a few pictures, a few cute pics from the uh, PT, no doubt. Um, Otherwise, big thank you to all of our patrons as always. And uh, we'll see you next week where we have, I think, a bit of a short episode. We're running into the PT, um, but we will be back next week before the PT. And uh, we'll, of course, recap the PT the week after. So see you in New Jersey. Otherwise, yeah. See you, next see time. you all then.